Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this Wednesday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring back our old friend. I'm talking about Father Mike Deeb as he'll be talking to us about the church and the UN. But first, a very quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay with me. This is Archbishop Buti Kakale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, saints are witnesses and companions of hope, said Pope Francis at weekly general audience. MRM, Arts and Culture, to host Imbizo on anti-femicide in Regina Mundi. And UN Conference explores role of radiotherapy in battle against cancer. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. Continuing his series of Wednesday general audiences devoted to Christian hope, Pope Francis devoted his June 21st audience to the saints as witnesses and companions of hope. Vatican Radio Devin Watkins has more. Pope Francis at his general audience in a sunny St. Peter's Square said the saints show us the path of Christian hope and teach us to follow in their footsteps. Taking the letter to the Hebrews as his guide, the Pope said the saints are those who have gone before us marked with the sign of faith. He spoke about three important moments in the life of the church in which the great cloud of witnesses is evoked, in the liturgies of baptism, matrimony, and holy orders. He said the saints are called upon in these moments because they have passed along our same path, have known the same toil, and live forever in the embrace of God. Dio non ci mai. God never abandons us, he said. Whenever we are in need, one of his angels will come to pick us up and console us. Angels sometimes have a human face and heart, because the saints of God are always here, hidden in our midst. Pope Francis went on to assure his audience that the Christian ideal is attainable, as the lives of the saints have shown. He said it is possible to be saints because the Lord helps us. Being a saint, he said, means doing your daily duties like praying, working, taking care of the kids, but doing all with a heart open to God. In conclusion, the Holy Father said living a saintly life is the great gift that each of us can offer to the world. La nostra storia ha bisogno di mistici. Our history needs mystics, he said, people who reject every dominion and aspire to charity and solidarity, men and women who live by accepting even a portion of suffering because they take upon themselves the difficulties of their neighbor. Without these men and women, the world would be without hope. The Moral Regeneration Movement, MRM, in partnership with the Development of Arts and Culture, will host an imbizo on anti-femicide to confront the callous murder of women and girls. The event takes place on Friday, 23rd June at 10 a.m. at Regina Mundi Catholic Church in Soweto under the theme Respect Human Dignity and Equality to promote ethical and moral values, irrespective of social 
racial origin, gender, race, age, status and class. I spoke to Bongi Misimang, MRM project manager. Uh, this event becomes an in vivo to address the alarming sketch of femicide in South Africa. So we expecting people from all regions of Gauteng, Sibibeng, Tswane, four buses are coming from Tswane, Eguruleni buses, so way to everywhere. And beyond that, uh, we extended the invitation to other provinces like KZN will be sending a delegation from the office of the speaker uh, and also from the uh, Department of Safety and Security. Uh, as you say, this is just a lasting case. After this, we hope to replicate this in all the provinces and in all the districts of housing. We are going to have the Minister of Arts and Culture, who has been the key partner on this event. You know, the Department of Arts and Culture, according to the National Development Plan, they are responsible for that outcome number 13, I think, which is social cohesion. So they also sponsored this event and assisted us a lot. And then hopefully we may have the deputy president also. As we say, this is a national crisis. So government also is taking this seriously. We'll have various MECs uh, from housing, social development, safety, and education. We'll have mayors, and then we'll have civil society organizations, foundations like uh, O.R. Tambo Foundation, Mandela Foundation, and all other civil societies, a progressive uh, movement, like progressive women's movement, your power, your women against gender, and then we have students, students across, university students, we have courses already on board, and then very interestingly, we also have uh, the victims and the perpetrators. We've managed to get two people who would give a testimony on how this affected their family. And then we'll have a panel, a panel that is going to respond uh, after after the presentation, the, pre- the panel will be composed of ACPS, uh, that department that usually deals with these cases. And then we have the Human Rights Commission. And then we have a um, youth representative. And then we'll also have a declaration. Uh, I hope all the good Catholics and everybody listening to Veritas and to this talk, uh, I hope they will support us in prayers and in their presence. Their presence will be much appreciated. Looking into West Africa, police in Imo State, Nigeria, have rescued an abducted priest who spent two days in captivity. According to Nigerian media reports, Father Charles Nwachukwu was found unharmed in a forest in Agbaja, and three kidnappers were arrested. 
The number of refugees in Uganda has more than doubled over the past year, from 500,000 to 1.2 million, making it the fastest-growing refugee emergency in the world. However, humanitarian workers in Arua district in northern Uganda are experiencing water scarcity, making their job a huge challenge, says UIA Maung, a field officer with the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. The biggest challenge is uh, if you see the torrent, uh, one of the scarcity is the water, where we need the water supply. If you see the 100,000, we need a huge number of the water supply every day. If we consider only the 40 liters per person per day, so we need to have a huge quantity of water supply every day. In there. So that's one of the key areas. And now is a rainy season and dry season is coming. What we provide the shelter is only for the emergency shelter. So we expect the shelter will be the another priority for the next. And then it's coming to the livelihood, other engagement for the long-term solution for this refugee. If we uh, keep the remain in the Mbepi settlement, so we need to see the other livelihood opportunity, agriculture, and also there's uh, many uh, children who are needs to be in the school. We have a summer school which is our built during the uh, last Mbepi uh, settlement, and also we have some government school. So that school is not sufficient. We need to have more schools. So we, some of the schools are very congested. So education is also the third priority for the, this settlement area. And in other news, according to the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, latest report, at least 130 people are dead or missing following three new shipwrecks in the Mediterranean. UN News reporter Matthew Wells has more. The first involved a rubber dinghy which left Libya bound for Italy on the 15th of June, which began sinking a few hours into its journey. There were four survivors out of more than 100 believed to be on board, and another boat which left Libya on the same night also sank, said UNHCR. Most of those lost are believed to be of Syrian and North African origin, including many families with children. A third ship also sank on the same route, with seven feared dead. UNHCR said the death toll was a reminder of the grave dangers faced by those trying to reach Europe by boat. 77,000 have attempted the crossing so far this year. And finally, a UN conference organized by the International Atomic Energy Agency is taking place in Vienna to look at the evolving role of radiotherapy in the global battle against cancer. Once again, Matthew Wells reports. The second international conference on advances in radiation oncology brings together more than 500 scientists and health professionals. Among the topics being discussed are personalised radiation medicine, future trends in diagnostic medicine and radiotherapy, and healthcare economics. Practical demonstrations will also be taking place, including the procedure known as contouring that allows oncologists to define tumours using radiation in order to spare healthy tissue. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church today. You're still listening to Catholic View and I'm Shayla Pirsch. Coming up next is our feature, The Church and the UN. Father Mike Deeb is the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's general promoter of justice and peace. Now, presently, Father Mike Deeb is in Geneva, and he spoke to me about some of the key topics that are being discussed at the UN this week. Father Mike Deeb also spoke to me about a big meeting taking place in New York to develop a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. Let's listen. 
I'm looking at everything from the perspective of where we Dominicans are engaged. And um, so we're mostly in the Human Rights Council in Geneva, as you know, and, and I'm participating at the moment in, in the session of the Human Rights Council. Some of the main issues that are coming up here are the whole issue you know, in this June period, uh, particular themes which they focus on. So in this one, the, the, the issue of migration and human trafficking has been a big, important theme. So there are lots of big meetings happening. There's a, in fact, just today and tomorrow we involved in a big uh, meeting that's been called um, to discuss the development of what they call a global compact on migrants and another one on refugees. So um, there's a big consultation happening. So we participate in that and... Uh, they are we're hearing all the different perspectives from the people who uh, the biggest issue there is that so many of the states don't want to have any um, agreement that would bind them. They want everything to be voluntary when it comes to dealing with migrants. And there are quite a few states like that, like the Philippines, like the U.S., um, maybe even like, like some, a few Europeans, but mostly those other two. And, um, of course, the issue of human trafficking... Is, uh, has been coming up a lot. We ourselves issued a statement on it um, because the special rapporteur on trafficking, she made a, her report focused on how um, in all um, business supply chains, there's so much trafficking that goes on there and businesses need to be clarifying where all the products are getting from, how what will be in the processes, where they come from, and to what extent is it trafficking or not in those supply chains. The whole issue of demand and supply is a big issue that we are focusing on, and we ourselves made a statement in which we said that states need to focus a lot more on the issue of demand, because everyone focuses on the issue of supply. You know, look at the human traffickers and how to get them or stop them, but they exist because of the huge demand for human trafficking, which exists especially in the wealthy countries, and we need we focus on the need to focus a lot more on that. But they need cheap labor, they want in, they, there's a lot of big market for sexual exploitation, so they, they're focusing on that. So we've been, uh, we've been focusing quite a lot on that. And, you know, in relation to the migrants and even the human trafficking issue, we focus a lot on the question of unaccompanied minors. Because there's so many young people that are unaccompanied by adults who are part of all these migrants and refugees that are coming through. And, um, and they're often featured in the same way as adults. And we've been, we made a statement insisting that they should be differently. There should never be a child who's deported. There should never be a child who's put in any sort in a prison and to create other um, alternative ways to, to take care of them if they, if they find them. Because according to the Child Rights Treaty, um, all of that is, is absolutely a violation. So we focus a lot on that. We've also focused quite a bit on the issue of business and human rights, um, the extent to which big companies are are still operating with impunity to gain and mine and, and organize their business operations without any 
thought about uh, human without using any human rights criteria. So we focused on Mexico, which where our Dominicans are very involved in dealing with this issue. And they gave us a lot of information which showed that the, the government is still, I mean, all the, the big corporations are still operating with impunity there, and, um, and people are being, their livelihoods and, and even the environment being devastated by it. So we focused quite a lot on that. Then we've also focused on some particular country issues like Burundi, and unfortunately in the discussion on Burundi here, uh, things were going almost nowhere. The situation in Burundi remains terrible, and in some ways even getting worse. All the opposition has been decimated. Anyone who shows any any sign that they know that against the government are targeted. And um, but, uh, the UN is a little bit powerless to deal with this because uh, Africa is divided on the issue, and there's so many governments yeah. around Burundi that uh, that they know that if we hammer Burundi, they'll be next in line. So mm. they don't want to do anything about it, and so it's a big challenge for us to know what next to do. Uh, sorry to cut you there, but yeah. still on that topic of Burundi and Africa, there's actually quite a lot happening in Africa. There's the whole rise of famine, uh, for example, in the Sahel region, in sub-Saharan Africa. There's also the problem in the DRC, where we have millions of people that are starving. And, you know, these voices are not being heard. All of these are human rights, you know, basic human rights, the right to food, the right to good health. With regards to all of these uh, things that are happening just on the African continent alone regarding human rights, basic human rights to these people, what are some of the findings that have come out during the UN sessions and all these meetings that you've been having, what are the plans to actually take these words and put them into action? Well, um, I was just telling you that for Burundi it's really difficult to do that precisely because the states of Africa cannot agree, so the AU is paralyzed, and and uh, it, the people from outside are are quite uh, nervous about taking the issues if it does if there's no support from on the ground in Africa. So there's a bit of a stalemate there at the moment. But I was just coming to the issue of DRC because that's another big issue here. It's still to be discussed uh, tomorrow, and we're going to ourselves be making a statement about that. But because, as you say, the situation is horrific there, and uh, the number of displaced people, the number of killings, the number of, of of rapes, the number of people who are starving, the number of the number of armed forces that are operating there, um, it's, it's too horrific to even contemplate. And um, and I know. Some people who are working in that system uh, from the UN side, and even they are in a very difficult situation. Two UN workers you might have heard were killed about uh, two or three months ago, and um, so no one is safe there. And I think that um, we we wait, we're waiting to see what's going to happen tomorrow because, of course, the key thing that's been focused on is the fact that. There's no political space being allowed, and the government is supposed to organize elections by the end of last year, and Kabila's just delaying, delaying, and it seems he's not interested in organizing these elections, even though there was a peace accord which was brokered by the Bishop's Conference last December, and there would be elections before the end of this year. But uh, 
Kabila has, he was reported to have said, you know, he's not, he doesn't feel bound by that decision. So, unfortunately, it's not good news. Um, so it's going to be interesting. To see. There's, a, there's a lot of debate going on around here now about what should be the response to the DRC. There's several, there's two different uh, resolutions that are being proposed. So that will come out only toward the end of this week. So we a lot of negotiations going on about what should be in those resolutions. So we're waiting to hear what they're about um, and to to see if they're going to offer any progress at all. But it's, you're right, it's a very sad situation. Of course, the situation in Central African Republic as well, the situation's exploded again, lots of violence and armed groups operating there after times of of a relative uh, peace. And, of course, the situation in South Sudan is just too ghastly to contemplate when you see what's going on there, even though there's been a little bit of a lull recently, but but it's, it's not going away. So we face these huge issues in Africa, and in some ways there's almost a sense of powerlessness about how to deal with it. So that's one of the big issues we wanted to confront, there, how to start engaging African states so that they can start showing some sort of leadership the, the only country that was showing some sort of independent leadership here was Ghana. And, um, but now, unfortunately, the ambassador left recently. So there's a bit of dismay about will anyone be, in Africa be prepared to say something. South Africa has been so wishy-washy and not wanting to say anything. Um, so it's, it's very sad. I've been trying to engage with some of the South African delegation. And they all seem to be a little bit powerless on the whole issue. So it's, it's not good news. The whole issue of Africa is not good news because, as you know, that it's not the priority for so many other countries around the world. Uh, even though a country like China has um, invested hugely in the, for example, in a place like the Congo, where they were, their business for the Congo has escalated in the last 10 years by something like a few thousand percent. So they're not China's policy in Africa is just to do good business and not to um, interfere with any uh, political um, goings on. They keep insisting that they they respect the sovereignty of the countries they go to, etc. So this whole issue about sovereignty is a a bit of a a smokescreen for people to hide behind so they don't have to confront some of those issues. and because there are so many people and leaders in Africa that are doing everything just to cling on to power, yeah. they know that if we challenge one, they will be the next in line. So, so it's a huge challenge for people on the ground and for all of us who want some goodwill to, to, to challenge that. And of course, as we even know, even in South Africa, that remains a challenge. If you look at the countries that you've mentioned, countries such as the DRC, South Sudan, those are countries that are very rich in terms of mineral resources and based on history we've seen that continued um, infights, continued um, battles carry on just as a means of stealing mineral resources from these countries. I mean, it doesn't make sense that such rich countries have so much poverty and have ongoing wars. Well, you know, a big issue in the Congo all the time has been the role and even though that's not focused on other rich countries who have been coming in to, to get all the resources and then um, 
then when when the wars break out, people just look at the local people without seeing that often there have been sort of proxy battles going on. Many of these armed groups have had connections with some of these other um, countries. Now, I made a bit of an investigation in the last few days to see to what extent there's proof that any of these countries are still um, using some of the local armed groups as proxies to do their interests. And I was told by people who know that at the moment, there's not too much clear evidence about it, so we can't say anything about it, even though I'm sure it's probably happening. Um, but that remains something we have to keep an eye open and try to find clear evidence of, because uh, it's a, as was said several years ago, you know, it's a third world war taking place in the Congo, but uh, um, people don't recognize it because it's out of sight, out of mind, and in a country that no one cares about, except for the forest, it's often resources. So, so that's why, unfortunately, very little focus on that whole thing. And and that's, you can say the same for most of Africa. There's very little interest to most of the big countries. That's why they will never put a lot of energy and resources into um, uh, trying to get some positive outcome in these places, except insofar as it affects their own business operations. And that's the unfortunate reality of things. And I think that if we if we broaden this issue a bit more, um, while we speak in New mm-hmm. York, there's a big meeting taking place on the developing a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's probably one of the most important things happening that I didn't want to stop this interview before saying, because uh, more than 120, 130 states are all in total agreement about it, and they say it's going to be one of the, the quickest passages of a treaty in the UN system. So after any discussion for a few months, they've almost reached agreement, and it's likely to be passed in the very near future, even though... All the nuclear countries are not part of it. They refuse to accept it. But the vast majority of the General Assembly will accept it, and they will pass this uh, treaty, and which will make it um, the possession of nuclear weapons a violation of um, of, of global norms. Yeah. So we can use that. We can use that to force these nuclear states, even though they dismissed it as irrelevant. Uh, as they do with so many other things, but they are. Uh, but that's an important thing that I think we need to bear in mind. I think uh, in our South African context, it's very relevant. Yeah. Because even though we 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 don't have nuclear weapons, we presume all the discussion about nuclear power is not unconnected. Because if you have nuclear power, the the, the move towards nuclear weapons and, and recovering them. Is not an impossibility, as um, as uh, many people I've heard say over the years, it was a mistake for us to let go of them, <laughs> etc. In South Africa, but um, the dangers remain. You know, every nuclear power station is a potential nuclear bomb. So um, we need to, and the fact that the government is, or some of the people in government are determined to push ahead with that, um, even though the courts have ruled against them, etc. I, I think that's an important thing for all South Africans to come together and to, with one voice, say, out with all this nuclear power and nuclear weapons. And um, 
And if we if we mobilize enough people around that, then we can do some amazing things. That and maybe be before we finish, yeah. Maybe before we finish, I can tell you one probably significant aspect of the sessions that we I'm sitting on now. Yeah, is the new role that the United States is playing because you know with uh, President Trump, they are so cynical about the UN and all the the whole discourse is all about. You know, the UN is useless unless it changes. We're not going to have any part of it. They refuse to recognize anything binding that's coming from the UN. They, um, they, as you know, they pulled out of the Paris Climate Change Agreement. That's right, yes. Um, and we know that and even here they, they're pulling out of, um, <clears throat> they were threatening to pull out of all sorts of things on the Human Rights Council. Of course, there are many wow. contradictions here, yeah, but... but um, but they they behave as though they they're the only ones who know what's going on and And the rest of the world obviously and, doesn't. And, and and so for example on this migration issue they just spoke just a, a, a half an hour ago. Yes and what they won't accept they won't accept any global compact on on migration and on refugees, which is um which is binding. They, it has to be a voluntary thing. So that obviously, of course, leaves them the possibility to just ignore it, as they do with so many other things. Do you think that the U.S. is looking at pulling out at the U.N. completely? Um, I don't know if they will pull out completely, because even though they're threatening things like that, but if they pull out completely, it, they'll be somewhat isolated, because the U.N. is the only real forum or its main forum, I should say, where all the countries are together. I mean, when I was hearing what they were saying, I thought, you know, maybe the UN should expel them <laughs> for just being totally um, <clears throat> uh, dismissive of everything that's going on here, but uh, that will never happen. And um, they're more threatened to pull out, to withdraw all their financial contributions. And, of course, they hold a big stick there because... Uh, the financial contributions are based on economies, and because they're one of the biggest economies in the world, the contributions are very significant here. So if they pull that out, then um, obviously it'll have a big impact on the UN. So, <clears throat> so that's not impossible. I mean, but as you know, with President Trump, everything is unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that evolves. And I think the important thing is for everyone else to stand together and to start insisting on what the, the global norms are and should be. And I think that um, that's, that's all we can do. So yeah. it's unfortunately a very dangerous time yeah. in the world and, uh, and in the UN because with uh, people like that running things, both in the US and in like the Russia, where, where they also are um, highlighting their own personal, their own self-interest. Um, and then you've got the North Korean situation, which is extremely dangerous as well. Everyone's really focused on that here. So the chances of a nuclear war are, are very real. And um, I think that uh, we have probably haven't been as close to as we had you know, for a long time, um, as we are now, because of the sorts of leaders that, that are around, that they are very 
Kavalia and uh, they don't seem to understand the implications of um, so much of what they're saying and doing. So we, we're living through a very difficult moment in the world. We must all hope and pray that, um, that those who, who want the common good really can, can rise up and, and show that those others who are prepared to just go their own way, uh, they cannot succeed. But of course, unfortunately, there are people with so much power, economic, military, political, at all, at all levels. So that's, that's a big challenge. And my thanks there goes to Father Mike Deep, the permanent delegate of the Dominican Order to the United Nations and the Order's General Promoter of Justice and Peace. Now that brings me up to time. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Until tomorrow at the same time, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.